You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week five of the study in His Image. Today's teaching is entitled, God Most Merciful. Good morning again. Well, ladies, let me start by saying congratulations to those of you here in person and to those listening online. You have made it to the halfway mark. I hope, yay! (laughs) I hope this study of conforming to the image of our Lord and Savior is both encouraging and challenging you. Keep up the good work. Let's finish this journey strong together. This past week, we studied God's mercy. And oh, how we are so very grateful and rightfully should be for God's mercy, not getting what we deserve. At one point with each of our three children when they were small, my husband Ron and I doled out what we privately with each other referred to as our grace and mercy lesson. We used different forms of discipline throughout their time, and losing dessert was an occasional one. And I say occasional, not because it wasn't really effective, but just because we typically didn't even have dessert, so I couldn't use that one. But on the day that we decided the misbehavior warranted that consequence, I made sure that I kind of had a special one planned for the evening. Our child clearly understood that due to what they had done, He or she would not receive dessert that evening, but the rest of the family would. So after dinner, I cleared the plates and I brought the dessert out, setting one down in front of each child, including the disobedient one, but not putting one down in front of Ron. The kids would be wide-eyed in confusion, thinking, did mommy forget? Or maybe wondering, did daddy do something wrong? (laughs) Ron would then carefully explain that the specific child deserved the punishment of no dessert, but that he, as the loving father, was going to take their punishment instead, that he would deny himself the dessert. He told them he was choosing to show mercy, and he also then explained the grace part, that they were going to be able to completely enjoy the dessert even though their behavior did not deserve it. But grace is for next week, so let's stick with mercy. Interestingly, this little exercise reveals a lot about the child's heart and actually would probably reveal a lot about us if someone were to do this to us. And even it kind of shows their ability to grasp what Jesus did. You might have a child who's like, woohoo, I get to eat the dessert, I skated out of my punishment, I am perfectly fine with daddy missing out on his. And you may have a child who's overcome by guilt, watching daddy not eating any of the yumminess, and even has a hard time accepting this act of mercy. He or she may try to insist sharing theirs, When this did happen, Ron would deny their kind gesture, not to be mean, but just to reinforce the concept that indeed an act of disobedience did occur, and because of our family rules, there must be a consequence given in order for justice to remain. Daddy, as the loving father, receiving the punishment fulfills our household law, and so there is justice. 
We also explained that daddy did not do that to make the child feel badly or guilty. Rather, the appropriate response is to be thankful to daddy and to show that gratitude by trying to obey and to know that daddy did it because of his great love for them. As a side note, in case you're wondering, we usually in the next few days did have to clarify that it was a one-time lesson, um, (laughs) that the next consequence truly would be experienced by them. Daddy was not going to sit in time out. Um, But before we dive into mercy further, let me pray. Oh, great, merciful Father God, it is so scary to think of where we would all be in this moment without your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for pouring it out on us in abundance, not because we deserve it, but because you are a loving Father, merciful in all your ways. And now, Lord God, I pray that you would pour out our mercy on us even in removing the distracting thoughts from our mind, in softening our hearts, opening them up to receive what you have for us. Oh Lord, reveal yourself and hide me. It is you we need to hear from. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. How does the dictionary define merciful or mercy? Some that I found were pity, compassion, kindness, withholding punishment, providing relief, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom is within one's power to punish or harm. And I think that's a really key aspect of mercy. In other words, if your child sins against you, it is not merciful of me to not punish them, since I really don't have the right or power to do that in the first place. I am not an authority figure in their life. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word often used is rakam, which has the same root as compassion, It means a great, tender love, pity. And the connotation of tender is it comes from the depth of one's being, specifically the womb, the innermost part. In certain Old Testament passages, the meaning of mercy is to stoop in kindness to an inferior, to have pity upon, and this part of the definition carries significance that we'll discuss later, to be actively compassionate. God's mercy towards us is active. He compassionates us. The question that follows is, do we? Is the mercy I show towards another active or is it merely words? In the New Testament, the most common word, especially when it's used as a noun or verb, is el I practiced that a lot this week, but I still don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but just run with me on that. Um, Which means pity, to compassionate by word or deed. Again, the idea of it being active. To help one afflicted. And listen to this additional definition. Compassionate specifically by divine grace. In other words, if we are trying to show mercy apart from the Lord's spirit enabling us, it will fall short. For the adjective form, the Greek word is oikterman, which again communicates the idea of tender, sincere, deeply and truly felt. 
Arthur Pink defined God's mercy as the ready inclination of God to relieve the misery of fallen creatures. How incredibly grateful we should be that he is so inclined. Tozer describes it this way, mercy is God's goodness confronting human guilt and suffering. When the goodness of God confronts human guilt and suffering, God listens. God hears and the bleeding of the lamb comes into his ear and the moan of the babe comes into his heart and the cry of Israel comes up to his throne. The goodness of God is confronting human suffering and guilt and that is mercy. God is, and I know you could all say this with me, infinitely, perfectly, eternally merciful. God doesn't just have mercy, he is mercy. Were you surprised to read Jen's statement that the word mercy appears four times more in the Old Testament than in the New? God has always been completely merciful. He cannot be less or more. His mercy was not greater at the cross and it won't be any less on judgment day. Nor was it any less when he flooded the earth or destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Tozer points out that we get the odd notion that God is showing mercy because Jesus died. No, Jesus died because God is showing mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us Calvary, not Calvary that gave us mercy. I said something similar to that when we talked about love. If God had not always been merciful, Tozer highlights, there would have been no incarnation, no man on a cross, and no empty tomb. From the earliest interactions with mankind, in fact, we see God's mercy. When he made the animal skins to cover Adam and Eve once they realized and felt shame for their nakedness. Let's see other ways scripture reveals and describes God's mercy. The psalmist boldly proclaims in 116.5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Note it says is, not was, not will be, but is. Psalm 103, eight through 13 reads, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There's so much about the Lord's mercy in those verses. Because he is merciful to us, he does not deal with us according to our sins. And he does not stay angry at us or keep reminding us of our sins, throwing them in our face. He compassionates us and his mercy is abounding. A commentary I read explained that that word means mercy is not manifested by God in small or stinted measure. Rather, it is rich, full, abundant, overflowing, and free. Daniel 9.9 says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. 
His mercy is coupled with forgiveness. And at first you might think, well, yeah, of course, Julie, it has to be. Those two go together, but not necessarily. Have you ever shown mercy to someone who hurt you in that you did not retaliate or speak harshly back at them, even though they may have deserved it? You showed mercy in your actions and yet in your heart. Don't we all at times hold on to the bitterness or resentment, not truly forgiving the one we've shown mercy to? Praise be to God that to him belong both. He shows us mercy and he forgives. We should try more often to do the same. Moses in Deuteronomy 4, 30 through 31 instructs the Israelites, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And Jeremiah says in 3.12, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. What comfort in these words spoken by Moses and Jeremiah regarding God's mercy. Even when we have rebelled and rejected and strayed, he will show us nothing but mercy when we repent and return to him. His response will never be, oh sure, now that you're in trouble, you come running back to me. Now that you're desperate and have made a mess of your life, you need me and my help. Perhaps you had a parent who communicated that to you. But oh dear friend, your heavenly father does not and never will. His mercy means he will not look on you in anger. He will never leave you. He will always remember and honor his covenant promises and show you mercy. He will compassionate you. In 2 Samuel 24, 14, then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. Because of God's rich mercy, he is our refuge and safe place. We can trust him more so than we can trust one another. We can always run to him. The prophet Isaiah tells us in 3018, the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And the New American Standard says the Lord longs to be gracious and he waits on high to have mercy on you. It is his good pleasure to show you mercy. He does not do it begrudgingly. When my husband took on the no dessert punishment, he did not do it with a scowl on his face or an attitude of, okay, I'll do this because I have to as your loving father, but I'm not happy about it. God's desire is to show mercy to you, his good pleasure, his perfect plan. How much more so should we have that attitude when showing it to others? God has never and never will need mercy shown to him. 
and yet we need it and receive it constantly. Therefore, shouldn't we also be waiting to show it to others, not begrudgingly? Psalm 23, one we are probably so familiar with, verse six assures us that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Note it says, follow me. It is personal. It doesn't matter how wretched we are. As his beloved children, we cannot escape his mercy. It follows us, it pursues us, and it enables us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Luke 1, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, is prophesying about his son's ministry, and he's extolling the amazing virtues of God. In verse 72, he mentions the mercy of God, which was promised to our fathers. It was always God's perfect plan to show his people mercy. And then in verse 78, he describes the mercy of God as tender. And again, what I said earlier, that word means that God's mercy for you is sincere, felt deeply from his core, his innermost being. James in his letter also refers to the mercy of God and uses what some may consider an unusual example, Job. For those of you not familiar with the story of Job, he endured incredible loss and suffering. I don't have time to discuss it in further detail, but if you've never read the book of Job, I encourage you to. James writes in 5.11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is so significant because it's tempting to read the story of Job, how greatly he suffered loss and physical pain despite that he lived righteously. He's described as being upright. And it's tempting to question the compassion or mercy of God. Now, at the end of Job's life, God does restore abundantly blessing on him. However, we need to be careful not to think that that is when the mercy of God first appears to Job. He is merciful always. He cannot be anything but. As we've said with good and just, the problem may lie with how we define merciful. God knows best, God does best, and his word tells us he's always merciful. We know that in theory, we need to work harder to believe that when we may not feel his mercy. Even in our suffering, God remains merciful. And I know Jen listed these verses at the end of her chapter, but I cannot talk about God being merciful without highlighting them, as they are some of my favorites and have given me so much comfort over the years. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Cling to that promise. Believe it in your heart. His mercies will never end. And to make it even more amazing and comforting, they are new every morning. 
in his wisdom and omniscience, God knows daily what mercies you need. And those are the ones in his steadfast love that he provides for you. Not because we deserve them, we don't, but because he can't help but be merciful to his children. Receive them every morning, rest in them throughout every day, and praise him out of an ever grateful heart. Okay, ladies, here's another phrase you can say with me. Whatever is true of God is true of Jesus. <laughs> Eternally, infinitely, perfectly. In my homework questions, I had you look up the description of the mercy seat in the Old Testament and then read Hebrews chapter nine. If you didn't have a chance to do that, I encourage you to. I'll read just a couple verses from that chapter. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And verse 15, therefore he, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is our spiritual mercy seat. Jesus shows us mercy, Jesus is mercy. In Jude's letter to fellow believers, he tells them in 20 to 21, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He acknowledges the mercy Jesus has and shows us, which results in our eternal life. So how then do we reflect the image of God with this particular attribute? I've mentioned several ways already based on the verses which reveal how God is. We are to be active with our mercy, meaning it isn't just words. Before Mark tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, he writes that Jesus had compassion for the, for the crowd. And the Greek word for compassion is very similar in meaning to the one for mercy deeply yearn with pity. Jesus didn't just feel and verbalize his compassion, he then compassionated the people by providing food to meet their physical need of hunger. We need to add hands and feet to our words and thoughts of mercy. Our mercy is also to be coupled with forgiveness of the person, it's to be sincere. And this is where that definition that I emphasized earlier comes into play. It is compassion specifically by divine grace. Apart from the Spirit's power enabling me, I can struggle to truly forgive and often struggle to even show mercy. It is an act of obedience out of gratitude to the Lord for the mercy he has shown me. Please. Don't wait until you feel like being merciful. In fact, in Matthew 9:13, Jesus speaks these words to the Pharisees. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
We are to show mercy, yes, because we've received it, but also because our Lord commands it. And it is not to be done begrudgingly, resentfully. It is not truly mercy if we make the recipient feel super guilty about it. We are blessed when we can extend mercy to another, when we can reflect the Lord in that way. Do we see it as a blessing or as an obligatory chore? Paul in Romans 12, eight informs us that the one who does acts of mercy should do it with cheerfulness. And the meaning of the Greek word there, ready ladies? The meaning is cheerfulness. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus has strong words for the religious elite of his day regarding their lack of mercy. In Matthew 23, 23, he rebukes them saying, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. As I said last week with showing justice, yes, it is good and right to give to the Lord, but it does not please him if as we are giving, we are withholding mercy. Maybe a reminder of this could be that as you write your check to the church or give online, whisper a prayer asking the Lord, to whom do I need to show mercy? And how can I actively do that? And remember, it's not based on the other person deserving it. Romans 12.1, Paul states, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is by God's mercies, it is because of God's mercies, that we present ourselves to him, to be used by him in showing mercy to others. Note that we cannot, because of God's great mercy, kind of just live however we want, knowing that he'll show it to us anyway. He's going to forgive us. We taught our children, because daddy showed you mercy, that should make you want to obey him all the more not abuse that mercy by continuing to purposefully disobey and live for self. I hope you spent some time truly reflecting on my last homework question, that maybe if you struggle to show mercy to others, to forgive others, could it be that you have not truly received God's mercy? Maybe you're just too bad for it. Maybe his mercy is poured out on others but you really don't deserve it. See that for what it is, ladies, a lie of the enemy. God's mercy is for you. It follows you all the days of your life. It is new every morning for you. We cannot give what we haven't first received. If you need to receive his mercy afresh, scripture has the solution. Hebrews 4.16 instructs us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you catch that? You can draw near with confidence because he is faithful and always merciful. 
you will receive it at his throne of grace. But also note the action required on your part. You have to come to his throne, even if the only way you can is by crawling or stumbling with tears streaming down your face. Allow God's mercy to wash over you, to flood your heart, and out of that, you will be able to show it to others in his name, for his glory, to reflect his image. In closing, I wanna read some lines from a hymn written by A.B. Simpson in 1891. The mercy of God is an ocean divine, a boundless and fathomless flood. Launch out in the deep, cut away the shoreline, and be lost in the fullness of God. Dear sweet ladies, drown in his mercy. Please pray with me. Oh, merciful Father, our words are so inadequate to say thank you because we know how we don't deserve it. And yet you pour it on us in abundance, richly, fully, constantly, new every morning. Oh Lord, may we drown in your mercy. And when we are struggling to feel it, may we run to your throne of grace. And if we can't run, may we crawl to receive anew the mercy that you have for us because of your great love for us. And then Lord, once we have received it to overflowing, let us pour mercy on those around us, not based on who deserves it, but based on wanting to show them the mercy we've received. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for compassionating us. We pray this in Jesus, your precious and holy name, amen. 